Man, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that video. Ever felt like you have those voices in your head? One kind of saying one thing and the other kind of saying the other thing. Now, if you're hearing those voices audibly, you should probably go to your doctor and uh, maybe get a checkup. (laughs) But I don't know about you, but I definitely have struggled with that. And this series has been phenomenal. So today we're wrapping up this identity series. And so far, we've been looking at our identity personally and where our identity comes from and where it doesn't come from. And I hope that you've been able to learn some different things through this. But today, as Pastor Jonathan said, we're gonna talk about our identity as a body. We're gonna talk about our identity as a church, as a group, and why this is so important for us to get this right. Now, what I know about every group and every organization is that everybody has an identity. Everybody has a reputation. Every group has a reputation. And for you and for me, we all have an opinion about different groups, right? You tracking with me? We all have an opinion about these organizations or about these groups. And those opinions help form the reputation or the identity that you place on that group. And here's what I mean. Play along with me, all of you joining us online, play along in your mind, not out loud, because everybody has a different opinion and we don't wanna start any fist fights this morning at church. Uh, so just in your mind, play along with me. What is the thought that comes to your mind, your opinion, when you hear the following things? How about the American Red Cross? It's a pretty popular group right now. I mean, they've been extremely busy. There's been a lot of natural disasters. They've been mobilizing to do great things. And you probably, like me, have an opinion of the American Red Cross. And that helps to form the reputation and the identity of the American Red Cross. How about this one, ISIS, the group ISIS. You probably have an opinion about the group ISIS. And they have a reputation. Or how about this one? Tar Heel fans, I mean, they, sorry, I told you we wouldn't share opinions about Tar Heel fans, so I won't share my opinion. Eagles fans, the Carolina Panthers just play the Eagles fans. They have a very similar reputation as the Tar Heel fans. (laughs) Yeah, they're very, oh, never mind, we're not sharing opinions. That's right, never mind. Stay focused. Here we go. How about Disney? Any Disney fans? Yeah, I love Disney See, Disney spends millions of dollars every year on their reputation, on their identity, and you have an opinion about Disney. They're just one of another groups. How about Republicans or Democrats? It's a group, and you probably have an opinion about those groups. How many of you guys are so sick of TV ads right now that you're ready to throw your TV out the window? Hallelujah, amen. We could close up shop and go home today. Man, we only got one more week to this election and then probably about a month off before they start running ads for the presidential election two years from now. I mean, let's just be honest. But you probably have an opinion of Republicans and Democrats, and it helps to shape the identity of those organizations. How about CNN or Fox News? You probably have an opinion about one of those two. How about Apple products? Yeah, iPhones, maybe you got an Apple Watch or a MacBook Pro or anything like that or an iPad. You probably have an opinion about them. Or how about Amazon? I mean, what in the world did we do before Amazon and Amazon Prime? I mean, it's just, I can have it in two days and it's on my porch. This is amazing. One last group. How about the church? What is the identity and the reputation of the church? And just like all of these other groups, you and I may have a different opinion about the church. 
I hope if you're here today, your opinion of the church is actually a pretty positive one. But what we need to know and what we need to understand is that's not necessarily the opinion of other people in our communities, specifically people that you and I are trying to reach as a church. In fact, some of you would say that, I know personally some of you in this room that you would say, I haven't always had a positive opinion of the church. And maybe that's because at some point in your life, the church told you you were no longer welcome at the church. Maybe because of something you did, maybe it was because of something you said, and maybe they didn't come out and outright tell you you're no longer welcome here at this church, but they made you feel so unwelcomed that you walked away. And that's true for a lot of people in our community. So when it comes to the identity of the church, we need to make sure we get this right. And like you've heard me say before, there are a lot of people right here in our community, your neighbors, your coworkers, who know more about what the church is against than what the church is for. You hear us say this a lot because we're trying to change the opinion and the identity of the church. There are a lot of people right here in our community. In fact, some of them would say, well, thanks for the invite, pastor, but I ain't going to church. I heard if you go to church, you can't have a beer when you watch the race on Sunday, so I don't want no part of that. <laughs> church is against drinking. Yeah. Or maybe for some people, they would say that the church is against fun in general. How many of you know that when you become a Christian, you have to turn in your fun card? Did anybody ever tell you that? I, I haven't read anything about that in the Bible. But some people know that. Some people, that's their perception of church is that if you go to church, if you're a Christ follower, then you have to give up all of your fun. Let's get a little bit more personal. What is the identity of our church? What do people right here in our community say about the reputation of our church? What do they know about us? Maybe for some of them, they would say, I, you know, I think that's the church that meets up there at Oak Ridge Elementary School. They, they meet up there at that school. Or maybe they would say, I think I've seen their logo on some trailers that have passed me. Or maybe one of our trailers ran you off the road. If that's so, then... We apologize, we're very sorry. I hope that's not the opinion that you have of our church. Or maybe they would go as far to say, you know what, I think that's the church that does the movie nights in the park. Okay, that's a positive thing, we'll take that. You know what else I've heard? This is a good one. That church can't even afford a real pastor. They have to show a pastor on a screen that drops down out of the ceiling. I mean, it's crazy what people's opinion is of the church. What is our reputation? What do people say about the Summit Church? What do they say about the church in general? And you might be asking, well, Andy, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we would take an entire Sunday to talk about the identity of the church? Here's why this is important. It's because that people in our community people that we are trying to reach as a church, people who maybe don't go to church, maybe they don't believe in God. They tie their, their uh, identity of the church to their perception of God. They tie their perception of Christians to their perception of God. Have you ever thought about that people tie their perception of God to how you treat them as a Christ follower? Or how you love them? Or worse yet, how you don't love them? So what is the identity of the church? Or better yet, how is the identity of the church shaping the identity of God? How are we as Christ followers supposed to do our part to shape that identity? Now, the good thing for us is that if you're gonna look at the identity of the church is that there was a founder of the church, there was a founder, someone who put into motion 
what you and I are here today and why we are even even gathering. And his name was Jesus. Surprise, right? You're like, Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, right? Anyway, his name was Jesus. And Jesus was in a conversation with his disciples at one point. And he asked them the question. He says, who do other people say that I am? And he says, better yet, Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are right. And it's on that truth that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Simon Peter, you are right. I am the one that has been prophesied for years. I am the one who is gonna start this movement of the church. And it's on that truth that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, Jesus, at some point, you know, he, he knew that he was going to be leaving. He was going to have to pass the baton on to a group of people who would carry this movement that he has started. And he gives specific instructions. In fact, he gives kind of the identity of what the church should be. But before we get there, I want to give you some context that prior to Jesus kind of got this thing, the, the kind of the, how people, the illustration of church, how it I got all twisted and it got all wrong. See, what you didn't know, or maybe you did know, is that before Jesus, the religious leaders of that time, they were seen as better than everybody else. In fact, if you would ask them, they'd be glad to tell you is that, uh, yeah, we're better than you. I'm not hanging out with you. They were seen as kind of the hierarchy, if you will, right? They were better than everybody else. And they exuded that to everybody that they met. In fact, there were people who were considered in their mind less than them and they wouldn't have anything to do with them. People like fishermen, people like tax collectors. I mean, they wouldn't hang out with tax collectors. How about Samaritans? You've probably heard the story about Samaritans and how Jewish people didn't have anything to do with Samaritans because um, you get Samaritan cooties if you hang out with them. I'm just saying, like you can't do that. So they didn't hang out with Samaritans. They didn't hang out with people who were sick people who had disease or people who maybe were handicapped or poor. Because in this time, what these religious leaders kind of, how they illustrated God was that if you were sick or if, if you were poor or you had a disease or you were handicapped, that God was punishing you for a sin in your life. That evidently if you were born with a disease, that God was punishing your parents for a sin. Students, can y'all believe that? I mean, can you imagine if you got punished for each of your parents' sins that they committed before you ever came? It'd be a little unfair, wouldn't it? I mean, come on, that's crazy. But this was the perception that people had of the religious leaders, and that caused people to have that same perception of God. Now, lucky for us, Jesus comes along. And if you know anything about Jesus' life, if you've read anything about the Bible, you know that Jesus did the exact opposite of what these religious leaders were doing. In fact, Jesus went after the people and he pursued the people, he engaged the people, he befriended the people that all these other religious leaders would have had nothing to do with. Why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus was trying to change people's identity of God. He was trying to change the perception that people had of God. See, Jesus went after those people He actually invited fishermen to be in his inner circle and he would eventually pass the baton to these fishermen and other people to start this movement of church. 
He would pass the baton off to a guy named Saul who was ripping the church apart. He went after these people. He would, he would go after the people who were sick in order to heal them. He had compassion on those people. He didn't run from them. He would sit down at a well and ask a Samaritan woman, not just a Samaritan, but a woman. Women in this time had no value. Jesus gave value to women. He gave value to all people because Jesus was for all people. He asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water from her jar. Wait a second, Jesus, are you kidding me? You cannot touch, you can't put your lips to the jar of a Samaritan woman. You're gonna get cooties. Jesus, stop, you're ruining the reputation. You can't go have dinner with a tax collector. What are you trying to do? But see, Jesus had a different plan. He was trying to change the identity of God and the identity of the church. Now, three and a half years after Jesus has started this movement, as he's been doing this ministry, as he's been changing people's identity of the church and of God, Jesus would pass the baton off to a group of people because he knows he's about to go to the cross, he's about to go to the grave, and he's about to go back to heaven. And he would have to pass the baton off to another group of people. And he gives specific marching orders and he gives the specific identity of the church. And you and I are gonna look at it this morning. It comes from John 13, 34 and 35. You've heard this verse before. It's kind of our vision statement for our church. It's where we get received and share the love of Jesus. But we're gonna read this. To, look, so now I am giving you a new commandment to love each others just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world. Hold on. Your love for one another will prove to the Northwest community. Students, your love for one another will prove to those who are walking in your hallways. Parents, your love for one another will prove to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family member. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples that you are mine. In other words, Jesus is saying, in order for the world to know that I love them, my plan to do that is through you, through the local church, through Christians, through those who call themselves Christ followers. My plan to reach them, my plan to change the identity of God is through the church. You see, Jesus was for everyone. He was trying to change the identity of God. See, we say things like, God is love. Have you guys ever seen a bumper sticker that said God is love? It was more of a probably 80s, 90s thing. That God is for everyone, that God loves everyone. See, this would have been so foreign prior to Jesus. I mean, this would have been nothing. You would have never saw a bumper sticker on the back of a camel that said God is love. It would have never happened. But see, this is the identity that Jesus was trying to give of the church, that he was for everyone and his plan to do it is through me and you. In fact, the bottom line is this, is that our communities will know that God is for them, that God loves them because we are for them, because we love them. We will be known by how we love others, by how we serve others. Now, unfortunately, there's still a lot of people in our communities that have a pre-Jesus perception of God. They still have a pre-Jesus perception of the church and what they know about the church is everything that we, that we are against. 
But see, Jesus came to change all that. He was for all people. He was even for sinners. And aren't you glad that he was, that he would die for the sins of the world, for you and for me? He was for all people. See, Jesus didn't go after sinners in order to pay them back. Jesus went after sinners in order to win them back. He wants the church to go after sinners in order to win them back. You see, Jesus and God sees everyone as made in his image. That everybody is made in his image. So the question to us is, as people who represent God to our communities, do you and I see as everybody as made in his image? Do you see the people in your community and in your schools? Do you see the people that you work with as made in his image? Matthew 25, 45 records, and I'm kind of summarizing that Jesus says that how we treat the least of these is actually how we treat God. That how you and I treat the least of these will be their perception of God. So who is it, if you were being honest this morning, who is it that you consider the least of these to you? Students, who is it that's the least of these to you? Is it somebody maybe that's bullied you at school? Has maybe laughed at you? Has maybe made fun of you? I would think they would probably be the considered least of these to me. Parents, is it, is it somebody who did you wrong on a deal? Would they be considered least of these to, the, to you? Maybe it's a mother-in-law. Maybe it's a father-in-law. Maybe it's your ex that you would go, man, they're the least of these to me. God is saying in order to reach, in order for me to show my love to whoever you consider the least of these, my plan is to do it through you. That Andy, they are made in my image. Andy, I died for them. I love them at the same amount that I love you. And my plan to show them my love is through you and through me and through the local church. What if you and I had the opportunity to change people's perception, not just of Christians, but of God? What if you and I really got serious about showing people how Jesus' perception was actually supposed to be the perception of the church. It wasn't supposed to be a pre-Jesus perception of the church. What would it look like for us to do that? Because I believe people's perception of you is people's perception of the church, which is their perception of God. You see, you and I must become the church that's known not for what we are against, but what we are for. Not so that we can make a name for our church or make a name for the church in general, but because you and I represent the Messiah, the son of the living God who said it is on that truth that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You and I represent the Messiah. And how do people see the identity of the church? Even people who don't believe what you and I believe, what do they think about this church? What do they think about Christians? Andy Stanley said it perfect when he said this. I love this quote. He says, while as Christians, we may be criticized for what we believe, we should be famous for our compassion and our generosity. We should be famous as a church for our compassion and our generosity, no matter what people believe believe 
about God. Why should we be famous for that? Because that's what Jesus was famous for. And he's the one that founded this whole movement that you and I are a part of today. What would it look like for people in our community to start saying things like this? You know what? I don't know if I believe in that whole God thing, but if those people, if those students up there at that church, if that impact student ministry is any representation, if those people at that church are any representation of how God loves me, how God is for me, then I want to know more about this God. And maybe they show up here just a little bit interested in knowing why a group of people would be so for their community, that they would be so generous, that they would be so compassionate. See, you and I represent that to our church. And if God is really for everyone, then isn't it time for us as a church to show our love and his love to our communities? See, we must be for everyone. We must be for the Northwest community and beyond. We are for men. We are for women. We are for students. We are for kids. We're for preschoolers. We are for moms. We are for dads. We are for singles. We are for couples. We're for married couples. We're for the sick. We are for the poor. We're for the healthy. We're for the rich. And yes, we are for the sinners. Because God is for all of those people. And he didn't go after sinners in order to pay them back. He wants us to go after them in order to win them back. So what if we as a church get this statement here, that we are for them because God is for them. We are for our community. Students, how would this change how people in your school see the church? see the identity of the church, if we become a group of students who is known for how we love. Parents, what would it look like? Adults, what would it look like if we become known for what we are for so that people would know that God is for them? You see, this logo that we created, this whole we are for Northwest, you see, if this logo only is a logo to us, if it's only just a building campaign slogan, then we've missed it. Because this is much bigger than just a logo. This is the marching orders from Jesus himself. This is our identity as a church. This is the identity to our communities, that we are for them because God is for them. We love them because God loves them. And you and I represent that to our community. So today, as you take your pledge card and you fill it out and you drop it in the tall wooden box, or maybe you've already done this. But today, as we commit, as we commit to sacrifice over the next 18 months, I mean, it's a long time. Why would somebody do that? Why would they go without for 18 months of, of maybe something that they could take that money and do something for themselves? Why would somebody do that? I want you to know it has everything to do with this message that you're hearing today. It has everything to do with the identity of the church. It has everything to do with us showing our community that we are for them. See, we're not building a facility. We're not giving money like crazy so that we can just get out of this, this facility. This isn't our exit strategy. This is a strategy to continue to be 
in the community, showing our community that we are for them. In fact, I would say that once we move out of this facility, that we have a greater opportunity to make sure that we stay in this facility. Because I've heard it from the staff here. They say, I hope that when you guys move out that you don't forget about us. And I've promised them that we wouldn't. Because it's not just a logo. It's not just a slogan for our church. It's our marching orders. It's the identity of the local church. The reason we are building a facility is because there's 6,700 middle school and high school students within 10 miles of this facility. And they desperately need to know that before they go to college and some college professor rips their faith apart, rips their whole foundation of what they thought they believed all their life, before he rips it apart or he or she rips it apart, that they can know that they can build a foundation in their faith that God is for them, that God died on a cross for their life, that he defeated death on their behalf so that their all of eternity could be sealed forever, that he has a plan for their life. We want those 6,700 middle school and high school students to have a safe and a fun, yes, a fun place to come after Friday night home football and basketball games so that they're not out getting into things they shouldn't be getting into. So we have to make it fun because we're competing with the world. We're building the facility so that the preschoolers and the, the children right here in our community can know that the God who made them, that knit them in their mother's womb has a plan for their life and he is pursuing them and he wants a relationship with them. We're building the facility so that parents in this community can come and learn how to love their children like their heavenly father loves them unconditionally. No strings attached, no matter what you do, mom and dad loves you. We're building a facility so that singles and couples can come and learn that their heavenly father loves them and he has a plan for their life. We're building the facility so that the hopeless, no matter what the hopelessness is in this community, they can come and find hope through Jesus Christ. We're building a facility so that teachers and other community leaders here in the Northwest community can know that there's a group of people, the local church is behind them and they want to see them succeed no matter what the cost. We're building a facility for all of those people because God is for them, because God loves them. And his plan to reach them and to tell them that is through the local church. It's through you and through me. So who is it this morning that if you were being honest, you'd say, Andy, this person's the least of these to me. God's plan to show his love to them in a mighty way is through you. And it's gonna take you forgiving. It's gonna take God's forgiveness flowing through you in order for you to do it. But as a body, we can find our identity in the one that we build our foundation on, the one who died for us and for all of the community so that they can know that he loves them, that he is for them. Who is it? And what would we be willing to do as a church? What would we be willing to give? What would we be willing to sacrifice to make sure that this community knows that God is for them, that God loves them? Father, Thank you. 
Thank you for being our foundation. Thank you for being our rock. Thank you for being who we look to to find our identity. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for being our example. God, I pray that today this would not just be another message. I pray that this logo, We Are For Northwest, would not just be a logo, God, but it would be our marching orders from you. That God, our communities will know that you love them because we love them. Our communities will know that you are for them because we are for them. God, help us to identify who it is in our lives that we consider the least of these to us and help us to pursue them with the same love, the same compassion as you did. Father, today, as we turn in our pledge cards, as we make plans for the future, we do so in the fact that you are our foundation. We do so because we are wanting to show our communities that we are for them. Father, take what we are giving today. Take what we are giving over the next 18 months. Multiply, God, bless it, and do powerful things through this church, not to make a name for this church, but to make a name for you, because you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.